The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Once again, looking forward to this show uh, for a couple of reasons. We've got two top people uh, in, in the sport, uh, one an author and one one of the leading handicappers in North America. You know him as Matt Bernier. Uh, Matt, of course, uh, was an outstanding contest player, still is. Uh, he's even winning thousands of dollars for charity through his talents. And uh, he kind of got discovered, I guess uh, you, you could say, as uh, part of Esquire's TV reality series, Horse Players. And now you see him as a regular handicapper with the Daily Racing Form. And just a couple of weeks ago, he started a new segment with uh, Dan Elman, who's been on Winning Ponies many times, uh, the uh, top handicapper out of the New York office. And uh, it's kind of a throwback to the heyday of the regular guy, where you just got two guys on the set breaking down the day's best races, uh, giving their analysis, pre-race, post-race. Uh, it's really a neat format, and you, you can get it uh, on your computer through the daily racing format. We, again, we've had him on several times, and uh, it's just uh, an outstanding young man. Uh, we're going to be breaking down races that will have points for not only the Kentucky Derby, but the Kentucky Oaks. The uh, two Derby races will be the Bessaloo Stables, Fountain of Youth from Gulfstream Park. And then we're going to go way down yonder to New Orleans for two races. The Risen Star for the boys is a points race. And a race that's had implications in the Kentucky Oaks, the Rachel Alexandra. And all of these are bringing talent established and talent that could jump up at any time. I really look forward to uh, getting uh, Matt's read on that. And then... A new book that's out, and I have just been enthralled uh, reading this book all week long, and it's called The Prince of Jockeys, The Life of Isaac Burns Murphy by Pelham McDaniels III. Now, if uh, you are a fan of NFL football, you may have heard the name Pelham McDaniels III before, particularly if you're an Atlanta fan because he played in the NFL, and now he's authored The Prince of Jockeys uh, Again, uh, Isaac Murphy, one of the most dynamic jockeys of his era, and quite frankly, still considered one of the finest riders of all time. 
Uh, they say those statistics are, weren't computerized back then, uh, that uh, he had a win record of 44%. Of course, they didn't ride 9, 10 races a day back then either. But uh, it's just an amazing book and uh, the historical perspective uh, that Pella McDaniels uh, brings to it. He is uh, now working with uh, Emory University down in Atlanta. So really looking forward uh, to, to talking with him uh, so those are our two guests. Let's uh, go to the top of the show here and just tell you, I hope that uh, you've been pulling down some of the easy win forms at Winning Ponies. Uh, let's see some of this week's uh, big ones at Tampa Bay on Wednesday. A $1 Super garnered $7,800. Uh, Turn the clock back to Monday at Golden Gate. Of course, Winning Ponies covers the entire country. Uh, we, we had a $1 Super 5 key with a $4,800 result. Uh, then on Tuesday, it's Sam Houston, 50 cents, super high five. As you can see, we cover all the different wagers. That brought home over $4,700. And last Saturday on the big Santa Anita card, uh, we uh, pulled down a super in race nine, paying 4,161. So get your easy win forms from winning ponies. Now, for those of you that like to play contests, we got a freebie for you. The Derby Dollars Contest is back for the second consecutive year. West Point Thoroughbreds and 123bet.com are putting together with the Pollock Report to bring horse racing a free handicapping challenge offering cash prizes on the road to the Kentucky Derby. So you're going to have to tune into Winning Ponies every week so you find out who's hot and who's not. It starts out this Saturday with the Fountain of Youth and the Risen Stars. So we'll be breaking that down with Matt later on. It's uh, $2,500, and again, it's a free contest, free to enter, Sign up at DerbyDollarsContest.com, and they will provide you with free past performances on the races every week. So again, I'll say that again, and don't forget these shows are on podcast, DerbyDollarsContest.com. The word Derby, Dollars, and Contest, the first letter is capital, though I'm guessing you can get there anyhow. So it's a great way of uh, you can share the excitement all the way through the road uh, to the uh, to the Kentucky Derby. And again, uh, Terry Finley is the president of West Point Thoroughbreds. A couple weeks ago, we had one of his new employees on, Tom Durkin, joined us here on Winning Ponies. It was great. So I'm sure Tom will be out there uh, ringing the bell for uh, DerbyDollarsContest.com. Well, congratulations goes out to Gary Stevens. He finally notched his 5,000th North American victory at Santa Anita, uh, winning for trainer Richard Mandela. Again, recapping, uh, Stevens, he's now 51 years old, native of Caldwell, Idaho. Now, you got to remember, these were North American races. He's also ridden full-time in England, France, and Hong Kong. Uh, but uh, So he, he did finally get that done, of course. Uh, Gary says it's just very special, passing it on to the owners and trainers. They've been nice enough to put him on all those horses through the years. It's been a lot of hard work, a lot of fun, and obviously he loves it or I wouldn't be out there. And that's what he says. So congratulations uh, to, uh, to Gary on that. And he continues to ride extremely well. Looks like he's very selective about his mounts. If you look at his percentage of mounts versus wins, he 
is hot when he's on a horse. All right, well, this is no big surprise. Javier Castellano once again earns Jockey's Guild Jockey of the Week. Uh, he won the uh, Grade 3 Hurricane Birdie Stakes at Gulfstream Park. He posted 12 wins, uh, 6 seconds, and 3 thirds, and 29 starts last week for earnings of $341,000. As you know, that he's now 37 years old. He was a native of Venezuela, and uh, he has just continued his dominance of the Gulfstream Park Jockey Colony, which is not an easy one. He's leading right now with 41 wins and over one8 million in earnings. This is a big weekend down at Gulfstream Park. He's scheduled for mounts in all seven of Gulfstream stakes on Saturday, including Twilight Eclipse in the McDamarda stakes and uh, Derby hopeful Juan and Bina in the Fountain of Youth. Well, I don't know about you, but my pipes burst this week, and there's been a lot of cancellations. Uh, yesterday and today, uh, Charlestown has canceled their uh, evening contest. Uh, simulcasting will go on, and they do hope to resume racing on Friday evening. And uh, even down in Lexington, they're getting hammered. And uh, uh, Keeneland has canceled simulcast wagering and the Friday handicapping contest due to the record cold, and I can contest to that without a doubt. Now, because of the weather, the Southwest Stakes was canceled at Oaklawn Park. Now, that has been rescheduled for Sunday, and again, that should have Derby points implications, $300,000 grade three. Uh, They still weren't even able to train at Oaklawn on Tuesday due to to a second freeze. so entries for the Southwest were taken today. All the original nominees will be in there. There might be some new faces who could jump into the mix. Uh, trainer Donnie Von Hemmel, uh, who said that the Phenomenal Phoenix remains a go for the, for the Southwest. So I uh, haven't pulled those PPs down yet today, but that should be a race again. The Southwest moved to Sunday. Great big news uh, to... The television viewers of Thoroughbred Racing out there, TVG, acquired HRTV, and the operations are going to merge. So under the deal, TVG will assume the operations of HRTV that will be operated from the TVG studio complex in Los Angeles. So the uh, message boards have been buzzing. Uh, Who's going to stay and who's going to go? As you know, with the combination, uh, there's going to probably be a few on-air talent that may not be there. But the bottom line is, with the two networks able to show more live horse racing, uh, they'll be showing approximately 27,000 races per year. And now also you're going to be able to get races from one station didn't offer some and the other one didn't offer some. So um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens again, the merger between HRTV and TVG, and also NBC Sports. If for some reason you're at your cousin Louie's wedding and you can't uh, get near a TV for one of the Triple Crown races, NBC Sports is going to provide radio coverage of the Triple Crown. Let's take a quick look now at the races that we handicapped last week with Frank Angst from the Blood Horse. Of course, the big race we're keeping an eye on was the El Camino Real, and... 
The winner in here was an upset winner, Meta Boss, who looked very, very impressive, rallied from eighth in the mile and an eighth race. All but one horse was stretching out the distance. Meta Boss, a son of Street Boss, trained by Jeff Bondi, was ridden by Alex Solis, and uh, he was very impressive. Blew him away going wide by two and a half. In the second spot was Cross the Line, the Jerry Hollendorfer trainee, who had to check at the seventh eighth pole. He was three wide late, but did get caught by the leader and lasted by a neck over nine to five favorite Conquest Typhoon. Mike Smith came into town to ride that one. Then Frank and I also looked at the Hurricane Birdie. There wasn't a whole lot to look at in my personal opinion, because Mary Meadow was just the most consistent horse on the card. I uh, came into this race with a sensational workout, the best of a hundred at Gulfstream Park. She's a horse for course now, two for two. Mary Meadow uh, dueled for a while uh, with, uh, they were both even money, uh, more than a party and Mary Meadow were both even money. Uh, there's a lot of bumping at the start. Those two matched rides to about the quarter pole. And then Javier Castellano, jockey of the week, just pulled away as he pleased. Mary Meadow, very impressive. Congratulations to his connections, including trainer Mark Hennig. And then out at Santa Anita, it was the Santa Maria, a grade two race worth $200,000 and two horses. And this one went off the same odds at nine to five. And one of them was the winner, number six, Warren's Veneta, who came into the race off solid buyer figures, just missed in the Bayacoa to Tis Midnight, who was in the field, and then came back to win the Passiana easily under Tyler Bays. In the second spot, it was UZL. And in the third spot, the other 9-to-5 horse, horse I liked, the girl in that song with Rafael Bayerano up, no real excuse. I uh, had a really nice rail trip, but just didn't fire when it was time to come home. Well, it's time to close out the first segment and time to introduce you to author Pelham McDaniels III. He has just penned The Prince of Jockeys, The Life of Isaac Burns Murphy very much looking forward to this. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we... We cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Introducing... 
the one, two, three racing pick six. America's newest and most exciting wager. It's the bet that puts you in the race. Win the new $2 wager by scoring points across six races to scoop the national pool. If you love handicapping contests, you'll love one, two, three racing. Compete against America on track and online now. Pools are open at one, two, three bet.com. This month, there are $100,000 in guaranteed payouts. Learn more and wager now at 123bet.com. That's 123bet.com. Licensed and regulated in the USA. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, Pelham McDaniels III. I've been looking forward to this interview all week long, he has just penned The Prince of Jockeys, The Life of Isaac Burns Murphy. And I'm going to strongly advise you to get this book. And I'm going to tell you at the end of the show where you can meet uh, Pelham in person if you happen to be uh, in the bluegrass area. Uh, of course, uh, Isaac Murphy uh, is considered the, one of the finest jockeys ever. They believe that his 44% win record uh, is just uh, untouchable, and I do believe so, even though records were, were hard to come by back then. Um, the interesting part about this book is, is how black or African-American jockeys uh, entered into the sport and then were treated when they got there. Uh, it, it, it is an amazing story of Isaac Murphy, who uh, almost a self-made man, if not for his, his the help of his his mother, who had such a beautiful name, and America Murphy, and and a few key uh, male influences that he had during his life that helped him became the, the class act that he was. And uh, with me and right now is uh, Pelham McDaniel's the third. And uh, Pelham, I know that you work out of Emory University, but you you kind of took uh, an athletic journey to that place uh, before you got there. Yes, I did. And, and the first thing I want to say is thank you for having me on the show. I am very impressed by your your knowledge of Murphy thus far. Um, you know, his his life is an interesting study. It's an odyssey, and and I, I'm I'm really enjoying the fact that um, so many people have a, a, been able to appreciate the work that went into it. But um, you know, my own athletic career started, uh, of course, in college and in high school with football and. I had an opportunity to play in the NFL for uh, close to 10 years uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs and then with the Atlanta Falcons and, um, you know, just absolutely enjoyed that opportunity and went directly to graduate school once I finished my career uh, in in 2000. So, um, you know, Murphy became a quick part of my life uh, during graduate school. Well, uh, that's what I was going to ask you because your your, your current uh, I guess a title um, 
being the, the faculty curator of the African American collection in the Manuscript Archives and Rare Book Library, which I believe is nicknamed Marble. Yeah. Uh, you've been on the staff there since July. Um, all I can tell you is from this book, you do one heck of a job of research. Uh, it, it is extremely phenomenal. Where, where did that strength come from? Was that something you found in graduate school? Um, you know, it, it's one thing. So I, I've been teaching now for eight years. So I, you know, I, I was in grad school from 2001 to 2007, and I, I had the opportunity to go back to Kansas City as a professor in the history department there. And um, and then I came back to Emory actually three years ago, and and was able to begin this this, this uh, you know transition from being a full-time uh, history professor to being a curator. And so the, the, the process of doing the research was something that, you know, I, I took to right away. And I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, the tenacity you have to have when you're pursuing professional sports. I think you, you have to bring that in some ways to doing research. You, you have to be willing to, you know, read as many newspapers and dig through many, as many boxes as possible uh, to be able to find that those, you know, to keep pulling on those threads and so, um, you know, during the time period I was in grad school and then, uh, you know, years, five years after that when I was in Kansas City teaching, I just kept going to archives and looking through as many collections as I could find in Virginia or at Keeneland or the Kentucky Historical Society. Um, just, uh, you know, and, and I'm probably going to write this essay I've been thinking about called uh, Looking for Isaac Murphy because um, it was it was really it was it was an adventure it was a quest uh, but I learned so much more about uh, about American history about the um, development of horse racing especially in the bluegrass and um, you know some of these um, lesser known figures uh, in, in the development of, of the sport uh, well you certainly did an outstanding job now I I, I just want to know what was it of all your research that pointed you towards Isaac Murphy's story? Um, well, that's a good question as well. You're doing a great job. <laughs> the, um, so I played uh, football again for, for, you know, 10 years professionally. And so, um, you know, thinking in terms of the people I had a chance to interact with my teammates and, and thinking back on the history of sports in America, especially the 20th century, um, I had this question about, you know, what has been the impact of, of African-American athletes on um, 20th century America, especially thinking in terms of sports and, you know, the Olympics and boxing and, and in football, of course. And so, you know, that was the start of something that, that really forced me to go look, you know, back into the 19th century and understand the impact of not only slavery, but, you know, this idea of labor versus capital and how, you know, certain sports were available or certain occupations were available and there were those that were not available to African Americans. And, um, and we know in baseball, the last uh, African American to participate um, prior to Jackie Robinson was Moses Fleetwood Walker, and that was in the 1880s. And so to understand that, you know, there were these men playing baseball, there were these boys and men participating in horse racing, um, and they, they disappear not because they chose to no longer pursue the sport, but the, the changes in American society, especially around capital versus labor, around segregation and, you know, different policies, um, really opened up the kind of, you know, understanding how 
the 20th century unfolds, especially, you know, the importance of Jackie Robinson integrating baseball and then Woody Strode and, and Kenny Washington uh, integrating, um, you know, football. Well, I'm going to get back to that point before we leave this interview, but let me rewind a little bit. I'm just wondering, do you think that, that your years as a pro athlete uh, helped you in your presentation of Isaac Murphy's approach, attitude, and dedication to his profession? You've been there. Yeah, you know, I, I think that was part of it. But the other part that, that really drove me to want to know more about Murphy is, is you know, there, there's this quote that, uh, that, that I came across uh, very, uh, quite frequently. It was that, you know, Isaac Murphy was an elegant specimen of manhood. And as you know, and, and I know, and, and, and those that are listening, you know, you, you learn how to become a man or how learn how to become a woman, especially one that represents kind of the, the best of, of our humanity um, through example or, and through training. And so, you know, in, in, in reading that quote, I thought, you know, surely there were, there were other people in this young man's life who were models of this, this kind of behavior. And so I started looking for, you know, the evidence that would, you know, provide me access to understanding who these people were. And, and what I found out was that is that this Lexington community, you know, both uh, during slavery and, and directly you know, at the end of the Civil War, had this very strong community uh, leadership. And, and Isaac Murphy's mother, America, her determination to make sure that he was going to be okay, um, all these different factors had an influence over his life. And, and it just so happened that, you know, his training in church and in school and community, um, he was able to apply all those lessons uh, to horse racing. Yeah, I mean, and it comes through so much in your writing. And what's interesting is, uh, Pelham, is that you not only address uh, racing's uh, racism, but also sexism, because there's a period there that someone that had taken him under her arms, uh, Meta Hunt Reynolds, yeah. uh, she took over Fleetwood Farm. She herself was shunned, and ironically, it opened up the door for Eli Jordan, who was listed as the first Afro-American owner of a horse in the Louisville Jockey Club. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so yeah, a strange flip that they would rather they would rather oust the white woman and invite a black man in, considering <laughs> the times. Exactly, and I, it's just it's just really interesting when we identify these different moments historically. What was occurring? So Meta is taking over the farm for her late husband, which is phenomenal that she would be able to do such a thing because she was also part of its development. So she knew exactly what to do because she was there from the beginning with her husband. Um, and then Eli Jordan, of course, was a very important part of the development of, of Murphy and his, you know, his capacity to do the things that he did as, as his first trainer. Um, so, you know, and the one thing I, I think I really enjoyed about the book was, again, learning about some of these people who most people will never know about unless they actually, you know, do the research themselves or they read this book. Um, and, you know, Meta and J.W. Hunt Reynolds, I think, are people who, uh, if you're not, if you don't live in Frankfurt, but you have an interest in the Kentucky Derby, uh, J.W. Hunt Reynolds was the grandson of um, uh, John Wesley Hunt, the first millionaire west of the Allegheny Mountains, and was one of the founding members of, of Churchill Downs. And, you know, he took horses back to Saratoga and won um, with Murphy and with other jockeys, but he was proving that the Kentucky-bred horse could compete back east. 
And then um, the other opportunities came for Murphy when other owners came to those races and saw this, this you know, 13, uh, 16-year-old boy uh, running these horses uh, who was from Kentucky. Well, uh, gosh, I'm getting crushed on time here. There, there's two questions that yes. I, 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 need, I need to get into the next three and a half minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, the, the first one is this, and I know it's a hard one to answer, is in my time, uh, black riders that, that, that I have met and appreciated, uh, Marlon St. Julian, uh, Larry Taylor, that was a winning rider at the track I worked at, and a, a personal friend, Deshaun Parker, are, are, are modern-day black jockeys. And friends of mine go, hey, w- whatever happened, as dominant as the black jockeys were in early thoroughbred racing, where did they go? And I don't have a singular answer for them. I, I feel as though, and you kind of have to help me here, that it's a combination of uh, what happened d- during the period of the turn of the century with right. unions and racism. I think part of it, too, may also be the, the uh, black move away from uh, the rural situation to a more urban situation mm-hmm. and uh, potentially uh, nutrition. I think at one point in your book you allude to the fact that uh, Isaac Murphy may have been the size he was because during those early years uh, with his mother uh, being a slave, he probably didn't get the nutrition he needed to become a bigger man. Right. Well, I think I think your points are all all well uh, taken. And, and, and again, I think uh, on a number of those that you're correct. I mean, the the late 19th century shift and you know um, the number of jockeys. Part of it was collusion between the owners and the other jockeys, white jockeys and immigrant jockeys. Um, and then the movement from rural to urban was another factor. And then just just through attrition and not being introduced to the sport, both as a leisure activity and participating, also, you know, created this, this chasm between, you know, uh, those that were, you know, uh, part of the sport from the outset in America and, 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 you know, those that are not necessarily participating even as spectators, that it, there's no interest because now it seems that it's a class-oriented sport and if you're not very wealthy because of the image that we see of the Derby and Preakness, um, you know, then you don't belong. And it's not that you don't have middle and upper class, you know, African Americans. It's that you don't see them when those images are flashed across the screen. Um, who you will see, you'll see celebrities, uh, especially athletes, who are at those different events, especially when you have like horses like you know California Chrome, right? There's a the the the, the excitement around that horse brought a lot of people out, especially football players. Um, so, and then the nutrition um, aspect of it, I think back then that was a major issue. But I'm I'm sure you know, like in most uh, most ethnic groups or most groups across the board, you have people who are of the size who could actually ride horses. But whether or not they choose to do so comes down to you know being exposed to horses and having the opportunity to actually uh, develop the skill sets. All right, part two, and I need to get this in yeah. as quick as I can. Is I, w- I want to. Uh, let our listeners know that they can go to princeofjockeys.com to find out more about uh, your book and uh, issues surrounding it and input that people have put in, including myself. And uh, also, I want to let people know that they can meet you in person. Uh, they, they can meet you at the Kentucky Derby Museum this upcoming weekend. And a friend of mine uh, emailed me saying, hey, you're also going to be part of the Keeneland Library Lecture Series at the Lyric Theater in Lexington on April 29th. So how do people see you? How do people get your book? I'll be at the Kentucky Derby Museum on Sunday. Um, I'm there 
pretty much most of the day from about uh, noon to about 6. Um, the book will be sold there in the gift shop, or you can pick one up at Barnes & Noble. I think, the, I think the gift shop would appreciate if you got it there. Uh, but I'll be there to, to sign books, and, and uh, there's a, a short lecture, but also there's a Q&A session. Uh, also, you have a chance to see the uh, Prince of Jockeys exhibition that I curated uh, just to demonstrate, you know, some of this history in pictures and words so that, you know, um, you know, you can bring your kids there and have a conversation about the history of, of horse racing. Well, after speaking with you tonight, I've got a feeling that a lot of people, if they're in the area, are going to make the effort to go there. Uh, you, uh, I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for the book, uh, for putting it out there, for spending the time with us. And I wish you nothing of the best. And stay in touch. If you do any more projects along the racing line, I definitely want to help you promote it. Well, I really appreciate it. This has been an outstanding opportunity for uh, for the book. And, and, again, for those of you who enjoy horse racing history, this is a probably going to be one of the best books out there. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've been talking with Pella McDaniels III on Winning Ponies. When we come back, we're going to be handicapping some of the biggest races of the weekend with one of the best cappers out there, Matt Bernier. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. Crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Introducing the 123 Racing Pick 6, America's newest and most exciting wager. It's the bet that puts you in the race. Win the new $2 wager by scoring points across six races to scoop the national pool. If you love handicapping contests, you'll love 123 Racing. Compete against America on track and online now. Pools are open at 123bet.com. This month, there are $100,000 in guaranteed payouts. Learn more and wager now at 123bet.com. That's 123bet.com. Licensed and regulated in the USA. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, a man I consider one of the top handicappers in the United States. He made his splash on the scene back when he was uh, a young Turk on Esquire TV's reality series Horse Players, which I was praying they would bring back and have it be an annual event. Uh, But Matt Bernier, uh, 
again, uh, a, a young top handicapper, and I think his appearance on the horse players caught the eye of the people at the Daily Racing Forum, and they said, hey, this is, this is the guy we want that can help bring our audience back. we got too many guys buying the Racing Forum that look like John Engelhart, and we need more guys buying the Racing Forum that look like Matt. Matt, welcome back to the show. John, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. You know, about five minutes before I came on the show, uh, I, I got an email from my brother uh, that says that the DRF uh, email is uh, offering a free trial issue of the digital paper. You know anything about that? Because you can download a free issue according to this. I got the, the same email that your brother's talking about. I believe it's actually just a full-blown uh, the newspaper, but just in digital form. So if you go on your computer, you can just look at it all right through there. Uh, I don't know what the future holds for that. That's the the marketing side of things. But I did see it. It looks very. It looks just as good as the, the normal uh, newspaper does. Well, while we're on the marketing side of things, I want to give a shout-out to my friend Mandy Minger. Yesterday was her birthday. Uh, she's been key in, in a lot of the product development uh, at the Daily Racing Forum, and I'm sure she's been key in uh, recommending things happen like you and uh, my friend Dan are involved in right now, and that's spending a day at the races with Matt and Dan during a Saturday afternoon on DRF Live. Tell me about the creation of that and how, how the first couple of weeks been. Well, we've been talking about it for a little while now, trying to integrate some live things to kind of play along with the, the fans. You know, Dan and I do the Race of the Day videos, which I still think are very important, and they're nice kind of previews a few days in advance, but this gives us a way to kind of play along as things go in real time so we can talk about the tote board and, who's taking money, who's chilly, you know, who looks washed out on the track, all that kind of stuff. And and the big thing is we want it to be a second screen experience. So if you're at the simulcast theater or you're at home and, and you're watching on your ADW or whatever it is, you know, you can't necessarily hear whatever's going on on one of the television networks. You throw us on, it's more of the kind of, you know, the, the players talk a little bit. So, we try to open people's eyes up to things that maybe they may have glossed over or missed. And, um, you know, I think there's too much talk of picking winners and not necessarily making money. And Dan and I are trying to, you know, get people more into the mindset of it's not a matter of how many winners you pick. It's about how much money you make. <laughs> it's about how much money you make, but it's also about um, kind of teaching people, doing a familiarity to sport. And I think the greatest thing about your format is the fact that you got two individuals, and you guys don't always agree on everything, and that's good for handicappers to hear both sides or to to give interest in maybe a horse that they had glossed over that you found a gem of. Well, and that's kind of what Dan and I, even off camera, when we're here in the cubes up here at the race form, you know, we talk about we may not necessarily pick the winner and put it out there for the public. But if we can try to find a, a vulnerable favorite, we think that's almost as important, if not more important, than actually trying to put someone onto a horse. So if we, you know, if for some reason, let's just say, I'm, I'm not saying this is the case, but if we thought Upstart was vulnerable on Saturday and the founding youth, you know, we would try to outline reasons why we thought that would be the case and, and how you could try to help use that to your advantage and try to make something out of it. So not only are we trying to, to help people look at contenders, but also identify false favorite. Well, I know uh, I've had one of your contemporaries on the show, Mike Watchmaker, and uh, who does the Weekend Warrior series, and 
Uh, he's, he's not one for backing favorites very much, and his explanation to me was, well, John, you know what? Uh, I've got three races here. I've only got to be right once, and I'm going to make money on Saturday. Well, that, that's just it. I, and I think uh, I kind of got into that mind frame coming from the tournament side of things where, you know, the idea of you going five out of ten on uh, one day and then backing that up going five out of ten the next day is rather slim just from a probability standpoint. But the odds of you maybe catching a 50 or 20 to one shot over the course of 10 races, that's going to make up for your losses. And then some kind of put you ahead in the game. Um, that's kind of what we're trying to instill to people because look, we pick just as many losers as anybody else. It's just a matter of when you pick your winners, making sure that they count. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, Matt, this is a, could be a, a crazy question because you have so many tools particularly with DRF being available to you. Um, some people like trip handicapping. Some people love the speed figures. Uh, some people like the trainer angles. I really appreciate when the forum started putting those in at the, as the last line of the PPs. Uh, is, is there something you lean on or a direction you go in, or does it change from race to race? Uh, as time has gone by, I've become much more of a trip handicapper. Uh, I go back, I watch a lot of replays, take notes in Formulator, which is always the fact that you can write in complete any sort of note that you want for a trip handicapper or, or, or you know, if you want to identify that the track was speed bias that day or how the race has come back as a whole. Is it a key race? Is it a negative key race? I like to go through and see how the horses look, how they run, what kind of gallop out they're bringing to the table. Um, I think the buyer speed figures are far and away the best figures that there are. Um, and I, I just think I don't want people to be too literal with them. Just because the highest class out buyer at the field, you know, is a, is a 95, that doesn't necessarily mean that that horse is the most likely winner in the next race. It's kind of a, you got to take a look at a lot of things. But recently I've definitely been much more of a, a trip and replay sort of uh, handicapper above all else. Well, certainly at my home track, I'm the same way, you know, because uh, you, you do get a chance to be there and, and to see it and understand that, whoops, something happened here that those horses weren't supposed to run that fast or, ooh, this horse found himself in a pocket, and that's a great thing to stash away. Sometimes even the track man doesn't catch it, and you've got that bit of knowledge uh, stashed away. Well, we've got some interesting races, a huge day at Gulfstream. Let's take one race from the big day there that uh, could have potential – uh, Kentucky Derby implications, and that would be the Best Loose Stables Fountain of Youth. Uh, obviously, the focus immediately goes to a horse you uh, you, you mentioned briefly, uh, Upstart, who looks like a horse that's got nothing but upside to him, and uh, what could be a uh, start of a, uh, a rivalry with Frosted. Uh, the interesting angle I see here, Kieran McLaughlin uh, is, is nobody's fool, uh, he's decided to put blinkers on this horse. And one of my favorite angles in racing is an equipment change and a bullet work. And I'm noticing that with Frosted, but I'm still having a hard time getting by Upstart because he just seems to be getting better and better every start. Yeah, and, you know, everything from our guys down at South Florida, the Flockers, Mike Welsh, Mike Beshe, and the whole team, uh, apparently Upstart just looks like a million dollars out of the track even now. Uh, going into the Holy Bowl, he was breathing fire. Coming into this race here at the Fountain of Youth, apparently he's looking just as good, if not better. My big concern for him down the road is, is distance limitations. I know Flatter has had a fair amount of runners uh, offhand. I can think of Flatter, who won the Jack Bolt Cup a couple years in a row. Uh, 
Uh, I just, I've only gotten the vibe that this is a one-turn sort of mile, seven furlong horse that fast. Maybe he can stretch it out a little bit more. He's proven himself at eight and a half last time out. And uh, he's going to get the same trip here today. The only difference is going to be, like you touched on, uh, Frost is adding the blinkers. And for me, I think the way that I'm looking at the two, and, and we've talked about it a little bit on our Saturday shows, Upstart kind of, he needed to prove that he belonged in here. I know he had the big gaudy numbers as a two-year-old, but, you know, he really needed to show that he was a legitimate contender, whereas I feel like a lot of people looked at Frost at all along and said, you know, this one long-term could be a real runner. So I'm not saying that Frosted wasn't cranked up for that last race, but you noted the bullet work after the addition of the blinkers. He did have the blinkers on in that workout, too. We've, um, we've found out from our guys down in Florida. So I personally think I'm picking Frosted. I think he's going to offer a little bit more value. I think they both should be 5-2, to two, and I know I'm not going to get that on upstart. And unfortunately, I don't know if I'm going to get that on Frosted either. But uh, if I had to pick one of the two, I would pick Frosted here, and, here today and going down the road. Okay, now Matt, uh, being a New York guy, maybe you've got more information about this than me, but uh, I noticed that John Velasquez is going to be riding for Nick Zito on here on Fromento, another horse with an equipment change and a bullet work. What do you know about Johnny V riding for a Nick Zito in here? That, well, that was kind of one of the things that when the PPs finally came out, we all looked at it and we saw a Todd Fletcher runner in here that didn't have Javier Castellano or John Blasquez on it. And we thought it was a little bit strange. And I don't have any real understanding of why Velasquez ends up on Zito's horse, Fermento. Um, I think it may just be a matter of one of those things where, you know, you look at Pletcher's runner at the knockout. Louis Sias hasn't done anything wrong on the horse yet. No reason to, to boot him off. Uh, and, and Castellano is going to jump from Bluegrass Singer over to Juan Fina. But as far as Fermento is concerned, no one, I don't have any firsthand knowledge as to why he's on that one in particular. Um, just based on that running line in the Holy Bowl, they're going to add the shades this time around. He's going to need to improve leaps and bounds to be competitive. All right. Well, I want you to go to breakfast at the track kitchen tomorrow and give me a personal call, will you? <laughs> sounds good. All right, well, listen, we've got to pay some bills here on Winning Ponies. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and we come back. Uh, races that have Derby and Oaks implications from the Crescent City down at the fairgrounds. We're talking with Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Introducing the 123 Racing Pick 6, America's newest and most exciting wager. It's the bet that puts you in the race. Win the new $2 wager by scoring points across six races to scoop the national pool. If you love handicapping contests, you'll love 123 Racing. Compete against America on track and online now. Pools are open at 123bet.com. 
this month, there are $100,000 in guaranteed payouts. Learn more and wager now at 123bet.com. That's 123bet.com. Licensed and regulated in the USA. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And with Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum, we're going to break down the risen star at the fairgrounds that has derby implications. Before we do, I want to share a personal story with you. It was about 27 years ago, I was the uh, publicity director down at the fairgrounds, and I was uh, putting on a seminar, and I asked Louis Roussel if he had a horse he could bring over because I wanted to show everybody putting blinkers on, putting bandages on, how do you attach a saddle uh, things like that as part of the uh, kind of daybreak at the down seminar. So he brings this horse over, and we, we do our thing. Uh, Ronnie Lamarck was there and a few other guys. And uh, he said, oh, by the way, he said, this is a, an unnamed son of secretariat. I said, oh, wow, my God. You know, hey, ladies and gentlemen, an unnamed son of secretariat. And here we are putting this stuff on. As it turned out, the horse was Risen Star. <laughs> How about that, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm dating myself, but now we're going to handicap uh, the Risen Star. It's, it's a grade two that, 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 has, uh, that has derby points. And I'll tell you what, Matt, as a guy that I know loves value, this is a race where you can find it. While some might say International Star could be the tepid favorite, uh, certainly has the best credentials as far as graded stakes competition, though you could – debate that over Imperia. Uh, the number 10 post position is not going to do him any favors at, at, at a mile and a 16th. But other than that, you've got a lot of horses that got some upside to them in, in this Risen Star. So I'll be interested in, in getting your, your reading here. Uh, you you got uh, Ron Palaccio from Luch Stables, um, who made, looks like he made another nice purchase in this war story uh, that came back and had a solid work after the LeCompte. Uh, four of the starters are coming out of the grade two LeCompte, including the one, two, three finishers in here. Uh, with that painted with a broad brush, uh, what's your read on this race? Because there's some odds out there. Well, I, I think, you know, you touched on, on the LeCompte, and I think that's where you need to start. Do you believe in the form of the LeCompte, or, or are you against it? Uh, I think the most talented horse overall in the race is Imperia, making his three-year-old debut for Kieran and, uh, and Godolphin. That being said, he's not going to offer any sort of value. I've pegged him at three to one. I don't think I'm going to get that when we go to post. Uh, as far as looking for a little bit of a different horse, I think the 18 ice is a little bit interesting. Uh, coming out of that holy bowl where we, he ran into upstart and frosted, I, you know, it's really a lot of times it's difficult to make up ground at Gulfstream Park. And he, you know, his running line in the form is going to look like he really just kind of was one pace, didn't make any sort of a move. But when you watch the replay and you watch the gallop out, he galloped out like a freight train. And I think him transferring over to fairgrounds with that long stretch run, I think that can really play into his favor. I, I've got him pegged at seven to one on the he's eight to one on the morning line. We'll wait and see what he goes off at. And as far as one of the other local horses that's a little bit interesting to me is is the number three bluff going out for Larry Jones. 
I know, you know, just coming off of a maiden score and jumping into graded stakes company is, is no part. But the way that the horse did it, I thought it made a really nice move on the far turn and did things very professionally down the lane. I'm hopeful that that was kind of the, the light bulb going on moment for him. And uh, it, again, it just goes back to what do you really think of the current form of those Louisiana horses? I've never been an international star fan. Is now RJ. I will acknowledge that he, you know, probably had the worst of it in the Lecompte because he had the, the pace pressure from all around. And War Story, you know, I, I always look for paired up buyer speed figures to kind of project a forward move. He's paired up 86s, so a forward move wouldn't shock me, but I want to try and beat the local horses. Well, uh, the, the that guy Ron Paolucho, the reason I bring him up is uh, I, I know him. He's he's the guy that uh, bartered the Rhea Antonio purchase uh, a little over a year ago, and she ended up making him about a million bucks. So this guy's got a pretty good eye for horse flash, and as you can see, the horse was previously trained by Ron Moquette. Uh, I do notice that uh, after that, uh, the effort in the Lecompte, uh, the horse came back and put a best of 44 work out there. And if you look at Tom Amos's record, again, in the daily racing form, trainer stats, uh, coming off of 31 to 60 days, this guy scores at 33%. Moves my eye a little bit towards War Story, to be honest with you. Yeah, and you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't fault you for that. I also think he's going to work out a really good trip in here. You've got some speed drawn to the inside with Peter Miller, shipper coming in from California. You've got to assume that Todd Pletcher's runner J.S. Bach is going to be forwardly placed. And, and you know, you even look at a horse like Yuri Humor, who going out for uh, Janati Dorochenko, it seems like Dorochenko has to have at least one runner in one of these greatest stakes races down there. Um, I think he can infuse a little bit of speed, too. So War Story should set a really good trip, and if he's good enough, he should be able to get a job done. Well, I know Dorinchenko, I believe, one year won the Louisiana Derby at, like, odds of 57 to 1, so I guess he's trying to dream of things past, you know. But, boy, he kind of turned that horse back in about eight days. Uh, Hero of humor uh, should go off at the 31 odds that uh, that it currently has so nonetheless matt and i mentioned pretty much every horse in the race so either way a lot of value there take a look at the risen star watch him in the paddock watch him warm up uh see what happens in the next couple of days and with that we're gonna move to a horse that's had good kentucky oaks implications uh the rachel alexandra i believe this used to be uh the fairgrounds oaks i went down and watched rachel alexandra win this race with calvin burrell in a driving rainstorm about uh oh five or six years ago uh it's a mile and the 16th again uh for three-year-old fillies uh in here it looks like uh i'm a chatterbox will be the horse that's going to get a lot of attention we've got three horses coming out of the silver bullet day i'm a chatterbox won that race extremely impressive by eight lengths um the mystery horse in here for me, Matt, is Angela Renee, a horse that's been well-traveled, is making its debut of 2015 in here. Rafael Bayerano comes in from the West Coast again to ride for Todd Pletcher. Now, he won the grade one chandelier on this race. We also have the blinkers angle, and again, using my handy-dandy daily racing form, Todd Pletcher blinkers off. 38% wins. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I think she is ultimately kind of the horse that you need to make a decision about in this race. Do you believe in her or don't you believe in her? Uh, you look through, she's a grade one winner. Uh, there's no denying that at this point. She won the chandelier like you touched on. 
I, I've never, ever liked this course. Uh, and the big thing for us was, Dan and I both talked about it, where going into the spinaway back at Saratoga, when Todd added the blinkers, whenever he adds blinkers into a grade one, uh, his numbers are really, really awful. And you can look those up in Formulator. <laughs> and that was immediately uh, a red flag for us, saying, of all things, Todd Fletcher, he seems like everything he touches turns to gold. With that one angle, it's never, ever a positive. Conversely, taking the blinkers off in a graded stakes event is actually a, a pretty good angle for him. So, I, you know, you got to make a decision what you think she's going to be at 5-1. to one. If you could get that, I suppose that would be fair value. I pegged her at 4, but I just can't imagine her being any higher than 5-2. to two. Um, I think she's going to be tough in here. Bay Hirano, you touched on it. He, he's ridden her before to victory when they won the chandelier. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is she's going to work out a really good trip. It looks like there's a fair amount of speed signed on. Brody Ann's got a little bit of early foot. I would imagine Harbor Island, number nine, is going to be the one that stretches out and goes to the lead. And you talked a little bit about I'm a Chatterbox coming off that big victory in the Silver Bullet Day. She got a 94 buyer for that effort. Uh, it's one of those things where I think you got to decide what you think of Todd's horse, and then you've got to see what you think of the pace scenario and, and who you're going to ultimately land on. And what does Matt think? Uh, you know, I'm going to go back to that silver bullet day. I like the way the Forever Unbridled ran. I know she got dusted by Ama Chatterbox. She lost by eight lengths. And really, you know, it was only a head clear for third. But if you go back and you look, she was four five paths down the backside, uh, turned for home in the five paths. She continued to run on with interest. It's not like she got dejected. And considering all the ground loss that she had, I thought it was a pretty good effort. I would imagine that the pace is going to be a little bit hotter this time around. And uh, I think she can work out a good trip. All right, forever unbridled, and I am forever welcomed for having Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum on. I'll look forward to seeing you and Dan. I'm going to be snowbound here in the Midwest on Saturday, so I'll be hanging out with my two buddies on DRF Live. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thanks, John. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Matt. And also, I, I want to thank uh, Pella McDaniels third for being on with us. Uh, the, the book is The Prince of Jockeys, The Life of Isaac Burns Murphy, and again, you can go to princeofjockeys.com to find out more about that. Thanks a lot for spending time with us here on Winning Ponies. Get your easy win fig forms and bring home a slew of winners. Overlooking a manicured turf course over the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. Remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.